Welcome back to Sound Up Governance and to part two of my inspiring conversation with Jiting Lo. If you haven't listened to part one yet, trust me, just pause this right now and scroll back a few posts and check it out. You'll meet a young corporate director and entrepreneur whose work is at the intersection of mining and decarbonization. She's got that magical combination of deep technical expertise, the ability to communicate complex stuff to noobs like me, and the ambition to do cool stuff that makes a difference in the world. Here in part two, we'll zero in on Jiting's governance journey, starting with this question, which I didn't do an awesome job at wording, but well, nobody's perfect. You've got all of the technical expertise anyone could ask for. You've got all of the experience at this point that anybody could ask for. And I still suspect that you're an outlier. And I, I want to talk about age separately, if we could, because I, I, I think if I'm remembering correctly, you and I are roughly the same age, or maybe even exactly the same age. But let's leave that aside for now. You are a woman in mining, which is still not very common. You're a woman of color in mining in Canada, which is really, really uncommon. And you know, I'm just curious the extent to which that affects you. You can talk about it in the boardroom, the, your experience there, your experience as a consultant, whatever angle is is interesting to explore. I'd just like to hear more about how it affects the way that you experience your work. Yeah. Um. So, mining women mining is is certainly, as you mentioned, not. Uh, a high percentage in the workforce. I think in 2021, McKinsey has released a study where somewhere, it's definitely less than 20%, I'd say somewhere between 15 and 20% of the global mining workforce are women. And that's obviously compared against 50% of the population right. is woman, woman that was quite small. And over the last maybe five to 10 years, there perhaps is a slow growth, but really nothing significant on the board of directors side of things actually the percentage of women in on mining company boards are higher than the percentage of women in executive roles in in mm. mining perhaps partly because of some of these not regulations but you know the proxy advisors really voting right. against companies that don't have enough uh, women on the board and all this other public company related reasons Okay, for those of you who aren't quite nerdy enough to know what a proxy advisor is, they are firms that get hired mostly by institutional investors like pension funds or mutual funds. You know, funds that have a stake in lots, sometimes thousands of companies. Too many companies for them to make informed decisions on how to vote their shares on stuff like director elections, for example. Like, let's say there are 10 directors on each board of the thousand companies in their portfolio. They don't have the resources to learn about 10,000 directors and decide whether to vote for them or not. So they hire a proxy advisor to do that work for them. That means the proxy advisors actually have a lot of influence because they advise lots of huge institutions on, for instance, whether director A should be elected to the board of ABC. It's slightly more complicated than that, but you can see how proxy advisors might have the impact Jiting is describing on something like women on boards. So there is a few more women on board in mining companies. So how, how does that affect me in, in my job? So um, I, I think it's it's an interesting question, and I, I know that everybody experienced this a little bit differently. I've always find that as someone who have a technical background and that's the work I do on technically even though it's strategic but it's backed by yeah. by data driven and science based approach 
that it's it's much easier accepted because I bring an expertise on a specific subject matter that they need help. So I usually find I'm welcome uh, to that conversation and my inputs are valued. Mining is, is as with many industries, is a bit of a, it's a small world. Once yeah. you have an opportunity to establish your practice, have demonstrated some of the good things you've done, it's a self-perpetual uh, process right. where now you just all of a sudden has more trust with the people that even if you You're meet in for the, the first crowd. time because of your track. Yeah, because of bit of your track record. So so in my professional experience as as a consultant working with mining companies on innovation and decarbonization, I would say it's been going well. Have I have I encountered biases? Yes, but I don't think they they were anything that uh, stop me from doing what I wanted to do. I was never in any situation which I was extremely uncomfortable. Have I had many difficult situations? Yes, but not uncomfortable or or feel that I was very threatened. I, I have have not had those experiences, which is lucky because not everybody can say that. And that's you know I'm on the board of this organization called Mindshift. And the reason why I'm on Mindship is because there's certainly lots of issues around uh, workplace harassment in the mining space. So it's, it's not like it doesn't exist. But in my professional experience, because of what I do and the area I'm in, I haven't had too much issues on that perspective. So there's there's a reason why I wanted to separate out the age thing, because you know, you're know you objectively younger than an average director median director you're you're objectively young across any uh, any comparison when we look at the world of listed company directors and i have a very small community of people whom i know who are young people in this world whether listed company or otherwise and as a result i struggle to imagine a recommended path for people to follow because there's so few real world examples of people who have traveled a path. And, and in a lot of the, the cases, it seems as though you, if the path is not, you couldn't duplicate it, right? It just requires so many different, it's a combination of luck and opportunity and talent and so on. But I'm curious, I don't want to put you on the spot asking you for advice, but I mean, what could organizations learn? What could young high potential people learn from what you've gone through that might help to open doors a little bit more for young directors which are just seriously underrepresented in boardrooms i have a passion project about that which i'll t- tell you in, in a minute but uh, so there's there's two sides of it right so l- let me start with how i've, I've done it and I'm not sure if there are recommendations but I, these are the things i can share that's at least what i've done so there are three things. And number one is you have to be prepared like any jobs. Like this is a, this is a, a career. This is a job which you need to make sure that you know what you're getting into. And because younger people like myself, when I first started looking at this, I don't know a whole lot about governance. I've heard about it. I feel like I've helped my clients through that process, but there's a learning process for me to just to understand so that I can be prepared. And number two is now that you know what board is about and you're prepared, you really want to have a narrative. What's your value proposition? I, I, I think some people I speak to would say this age, let's use the ages as an example, would be like, well, you need more younger people on board. But, but I, I 
Yes, I, I agree, but I, I agree not because we need younger people on board, is what younger people bring onto the board. It's not because you have someone who is you know, younger in this case, it's not that young, right? Like I'm, I'm 42 years old. So it's younger perhaps on the board journey, but not younger as in a general population. So, sure. so it's really around the value proposition of what you bring with your lived experience and with your composition, all that come together that make you valuable um, on the board and, and know that you're not going to be valuable for every board. Right. Right. Like nobody is valuable for every board. So, no. so just be prepared for that, that you have your value proposition, you know what you want and you want to look for that, but you may not be successful right away for many reasons. And the third one and the last one is, I think you want to be very intentional. So when I was ready, so when I felt that I, I'm prepared, when I have crafted my value proposition and tested that theory with my trusted friends who are also on boards, then I became very intentional. I tell people that I am ready. I'm looking for a role role in this type of skill sets, which I think I'm useful. If you know someone that I should speak to, not to say that they have a job for me, but someone I can talk to about, this is my value proposition, this is me, and I want to get on board, who could I talk to? And, and that really did lead to my, my board position at Shared. What the companies want also matter. Yeah. So I have my unique set of skill sets and lived experience and my journey sort of through my career, which is very atypical to, to a public company board member. Yeah. I have not run a big company with thousands of people. I was not a CFO of a large company. I'm not a lawyer. I'm an entrepreneur with a small business in this niche area where I do ESG and innovation. It's not a typical skill set that people are looking for. But in this particular case where Shirt, they were going through a transformation as an organization. They were ready to move to the next phase where ESG and innovation is two areas of where they see the strategic direction might be going. They see that they have a bit of a gap on their on their skills matrix on the current board. They come out to say, hey, these are kind of the people were looking for, who would those people be? So I was lucky in a way where the company is looking for something I have to offer. And I was very intentional what I'm, what I can offer. So yeah. and then and and somehow we we through various connections we were introduced. I had a conversation with the CEO. I really love his vision on where he wanted to take the company. Uh, I was very happy to to have those additional conversations on how I could be part of that journey. The board chair was very open minded and welcomed me to this conversation. And I had a series of interviews with other board directors. And ultimately, after a, a fairly long process, uh, we all decided this could be a good thing for me and, and for the organization. And, and, and then I joined. I was really curious for Jitting's perspective on how Share It or any other organization, I guess, could take the lesson learned from bringing her on board, that is, recruiting someone who brings tons of tangible value but comes in an unconventional package from an experience, expertise, and demographic perspective, and make sure that the lesson endures and is repeatable instead of just a one-time fluke. I've been going on these walking meetings with another person who's on the board and she's not in the mining space, but we're both in our forties and she's on a health tech company. And so we, we get together and just have conversation about boards in, in general. And so that's what we want to tackle is really understanding why people are not actioning it because people talk about EDI like there's no tomorrow. 
and always talk about how they want to do something or how this is the future, but I don't see a lot of actioning. So our thought is we would find some TSX 60 listed companies and try to interview some of these CEOs and, and board chairs on, on why this is not happening. We have, a, some, we have some theories on why this may not be happening. Number one was exactly sort of we talked about on the skills matrix. If, if you design your skills matrix to be ex- excluding certain type of demographic, not to say that you have to be fit, you know, 60 years or older, but if you say yeah, someone has to have 25 years of experience uh, or executive experience, then you, you're automatically excluding someone who's in their 40s and 50s. Uh, maybe early 50s so so is it is it be, is it by design so we want to figure out is it by design we're not doing that because we've ha- we've set our system to be such that it's impossible to get those people in is it because the incentives to the recruitment companies are set up such that it is not conducive like do why would they want to take a risk if they mm-hmm. recommend you a young director who may or may not turn out to be the best candidate in the long run uh, why would they want to take that risk? Is there any incentive for them to take that risk? Maybe not. So if you don't have a flow of these kind of candidates to come in front of you, then you'll never take those people because they don't exist uh, through through this kind of search process. And and on the other hand, I think young people like ourselves may not be not when they may not be ready not in terms not necessarily in terms of our skills and experience but may not be ready because we don't have the time available to do that. Right. We're now getting to that executive role, which consumes all of your time already as, a, as an executive in any kinds of organization. You probably have a growing family, so you also want to be able to commit time to your family. Do you really have additional time and resource available to say, why don't I commit to looking for a board of director role somewhere else because that's what I want to do right now in this time of my life. So these are some of the theories we have, but we want to test it out on, on why we're not actually doing it and and therefore thinking about how we can actually make a difference because I do want to make a difference. I, I believe that there's lots of value for uh, diversity of thought and I feel appreciated on the boards I'm, I'm on. So I do believe there's a place for, for younger people like ourselves to live on big boards and, and small boards. Uh, and I want to encourage that, but I, I, I don't have the answer for you, but I'm, I'm looking for that. <laughs> okay, I have a theory, but I'm going to share. I'm not going to share it yet. I'll share it after I ask the next question, which is, I remember, and you've, you've mentioned it in passing already in our conversation today, but when we first talked, I, I looked back at our notes and I saw you made a point of saying, you know, I'm not, I don't really know much about governance yet and I want to learn more. And here you were on this journey already at that time to becoming a pretty big deal on boards. And so I'm curious, how how do you feel like you've grown in the governance space since then, which is only a couple of years ago, but also what does it even mean to you to be good at governance. What does that look like? Practice actually helps. Uh, Yeah. So when we first spoke, I was on a not-for-profit board. I've since grown a little bit in my board portfolio. But just being able to be in the same room with people who have done it, and and so people who know what good looks like, or at least I think they know what good looks like, and I and I and I agree with them on what good looks like. So just being in the same room to do this practice and observe how other directors 
take action. And I think that was super valuable and hard to learn elsewhere. But you can also have this structural learning observation through uh, various training courses like the ICD course and others, which you do have these scenario and practicing as, as you take those courses. So number one, I improve around uh, because of all the practices I have. And it's it's okay because it's okay that I make mistakes sometimes. And I'm sure I have made mistakes. If you're in a hopefully a, a good board where you feel not only that you're valued for your input, but also in a very trusting environment. It makes you more comfortable. And I probably have said things I sh- probably shouldn't have or haven't really conveyed in the way that I should have. But because you're in a safe environment and you have these peers that are uh, that are also helping you out, I actually felt very comfortable. And, and that's another way of, of learning and growing. And second of all, there is a community of of practice in board and try to surround yourself with people who know what they're what they're talking about and who who know what good governance look like i have a mentor and i speak to her regularly and and so that's a way for me to learn and kind of bounce up ideas and get some input and insight on how other people do it lastly is really just remembering why you're there you're there because whatever you are as your living experience in your career and all that is is what put you in that spot and so you are you've earned that and you have value to provide so just being confident that you're not there because you're there but you're there because you have something to offer i think that makes me feel more confident and comfortable around how how can i help with that with the governance of the organization so you you mentioned a few times surrounding yourself with people who know what good governance is. I've been on a bit of a journey for the past year or so being really annoying and and asking straight up board members, board chairs, CEOs, what's good governance? And I've gotten precisely zero compelling answers. And by compelling, what yeah. I'd be looking for is something that, A, makes sense, right? So that I understand what they're talking about. But just as importantly, if you're able to say something that makes sense, what I'd want to hear is something that would make me know what I can do in service of that good governance the next time I walk in the room, right? So it's some way to tell me what good looks like so that I know how to get there. And I don't meet people who know that. And I'm, I, I get the sense that it doesn't mean they can't do good governance, so to speak, but it does mean that they, they struggle to explain to other people what that means to them. And so maybe uh, the, this is me being really cynical, but maybe you can help me and, and listeners understand what you're learning from others who have a strong perspective of what that is, just so that, cause I've got a, I have a strong opinion where I think it is, I, which I can share, but I'm curious what you're learning so that the rest of us can learn from what you're picking up. Yeah, let me let me think how I can, how I can summarize that um, in, in a way that is not all over the place. So there's so many pieces of that. In my observation, and, and again, I love to hear your, your thoughts on what is what does good governance look like from your perspective. In my observation and, and what I'm learning, having a good and trusting environment for the board of directors 
as well as with the CEO and, and therefore to the senior management team is a fundamental piece where you can start having good governance because you're trusting each other, you're in a safe environment, you are you feel comfortable and welcome and transparent to share what you like to share. And right. sometimes they may be hard conversations. So I think that's that's number one. And number two is I, I've learned from the chairs I've worked with that it, it is a critical role that the chair needs to really be a leader for the board and be that bridge between the board and the CEO. If that relationship is solid and then managing the board is solid in terms of really getting the most out of the board members, that's where we can have good governance because you know it's one thing of talking about diversity on how people look like on the board but that's another thing to be able to draw all their skill sets and strengths and having that environment where people can ask the right questions so so i find that is really important and thirdly and and this may be a bit controversial i, I guess depends on where people are with their journey and, and thinking of what this good governance really is is what the what is an engaged board member and what we offer, uh, including and in addition to governance. So where do you, where does that line drawn? There traditionally there's a there's a clear line between you know nosing, hands out, and that kind of phrases right. on on where the directors should be. But depending on the culture of the board and depending on the organization and depending where the organization is going, looking at what is the best for the shareholders or the stakeholders, there might be different roles that the director can play. And I think good governance is recognizing your roles, making sure you, you exercise those responsibilities, but at the same time, maybe offering more advice than your typical governance so that the organization is moving in the right direction. So that I, I find is, is a fine line. I'm still learning how to navigate that very well, uh, but I do find that having that additional ability to offer only when it, when needed is a way to actually inc- improve governance. So, so these are my maybe three things I've observed on what good governance look like in my experience, and I, I see that in in several of my boards where where bits and pieces, or maybe sometimes all of those uh, points. So for what it's worth, no, for what it's worth, I love every part of what you're saying for a lot of reasons and it aligns really well. So I'll share my, my current, the current wording of my definition of good governance. I'm, I'm trying to put it in one sentence. So it's, it, it both says a lot and not enough. So my current definition is good governance is intentionally cultivating effective conditions for making decisions. So if we take the first part of what you said, we want to be in a room where we've somehow created the conditions where we trust each other and feel like we can challenge each other without being uh, attacked, for example. Well, there's a lot of conditions we can be intentional about to try to achieve that. And it's that intentionality, to me, that's the difference between good and not good. So there's a lot of organizations, for example, that I meet where they just kind of go in the room, they've got an agenda, they work through the agenda, and they leave, and they haven't asked themselves at any point, okay, well, we've got this critical decision we're about to make. What are some of the things that we can think about in advance of making that decision that will 
serve the decision. Who should be in the room? What information do we need? How should we transmit that information and when? Uh, what kind of, of conversation prompts would be like? How long should the presentations be? All this stuff. Should the lighting be bright or dark? I, you know, whatever it is, all these things matter. And to me, as long as you're being intentional about it, that's the difference between good and not good. So I'll stop for a second. Does that does it seem to connect with some of the things you're saying? Yeah, you do say it much, much more concisely and, and nicely than my run-on sentences. <laughs> well, I've been thinking uh, about it for, like crazy. So, um, <laughs> so, okay, so if we're in alignment, then I want to bring this back to, uh, and I'm going to, I'll share a theory. This is a half-baked. I'm only coming up, up with it as we're talking, so forgive me. But thinking about... <laughs> Thinking about some of the stuff that would get in the way of change on the young director's front or on the equity, diversity, and inclusion in boardrooms generally, I think that this clarity or achieving or building some kind of clarity about what does it mean to be great once you get in the room would help a lot. Because if mm -hmm. we're thinking about um, a typical nominating committee, that has nominated and elected however many dozens of directors collectively over the tenure of the, the board members who are there, they probably haven't thought too hard or at least not too hard too frequently on, okay, well, what does it mean not just to make sure that we're getting the right profile, but to make sure that when they get in the room, they're activated or, or they have the right characteristics and curiosity to actually be amazing. If we d drew up the characteristics that differentiate a great director from someone who's not great, suddenly in my experience, we've got a person who looks like anybody, right? They, as long as they're curious, as long as they're hardworking, as long as they are, you know, maybe some of them need to be detail-oriented, maybe some of them need to be dreamers, but we certainly need people who are interested in including and incorporating the ideas of others and pushing decisions and exploring options and all that stuff. There's no demographic that is better at that than another. Young, old, it doesn't matter, right? So here's my theory. If we were more intentional about that and, and sort of it stopped over-indexing on the, the experience piece, which does it matters but not a lot, I bet things would change. And that has to be the directors that change. It has to be the potential directors who have a different understanding of what they're bringing to the table, all this stuff. How does that sound? Yeah, I, 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 like, I like it. Um, but also, maybe, maybe I have a... Yes, maybe some of the board members could just be a generalist in terms of um, being curious and being thoughtful being you know all these good things that they can bring in and ask the right questions but i do believe that we are in a world where things are complex and it would be nice to have some directors on the board who do have subject matter expertise in different areas and and, and i think how that actually gets down to to the actual composition has to depend on the company Right, totally. like where the company is going. Like, what's your business? What's your strategic direction? What does future look like for the company? And therefore, what kind of skill sets you need. So, I, I think it's going to be 
a combination of all those to, to direct you on what kind of directors you need and want on your organization. And I think as a subset of that should be, as you said, being, being just the right person to do this and, and, and a section and then the rest of them may have some subject matter expertise or, or a certain experience that's really relevant to the future of the organization. Yeah, so I think you and I and are are I, I might have articulated myself poorly in some ways because I think you and I are are in a hundred percent agreement because I you know of course we need people in the room who like if we're running a nuclear reactor we need some people in the room who can understand how a nuclear reactor works just so that we feel confident that we you know we're not going to make some big mistakes I I think part of what I'm saying is if we had a slate of nuclear experts in front of us and we were choosing just based on who has the most interesting looking experience, we might fail to bring a person in the room who's actually able to add value beyond just their experience on paper because they don't have some of those other less tangible characteristics, those personality traits that would get them in the room so that they're actually activated and activating others. So I I think it's sort of a yes and, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree, and and I think I really like what you're saying around if you if you can have this message more broadly, it would also affect people who are who are looking to become directors to have a different way to demonstrate their value add. Right. right? Then they don't want to be pretend to be somebody else, but they can be themselves and be like, well, here are the things that makes me a good director. At this point, I had taken up a lot of Jating's time and realized that we needed to wrap up our chat. I asked her if there was anything we hadn't talked about that she wanted to put out there, and here's what she said. I'm really enjoying my board uh, journey so far. I, I get frustrated that I don't see more people like myself on this journey, and I'm looking for opportunities to find ways to to accelerate that, and I don't know what that is. And I'm I'm looking to you on perhaps having some suggestions on you know if I want to do more in this space on EDI and and board directors, what are some of the things I can do to to help with that? So from Jitting to you, a challenge. What do we do about this? Sure, on the one hand, we could just cop out and say, well, of course, we all want more people like Jiting on boards and in other leadership positions, but she's so amazing that I've never even met one person like her, let alone several. That might feel like a fair point, but let's inject a little more good faith into this. How did I meet Jiting? She reached out to me after listening to a guest appearance I made on another podcast. Why is that relevant? Because it's a good example of how interesting people meet each other. Want to meet people like Jiting? Try doing what either one of us did. Put some interesting ideas out in the world in an article or podcast or whatever and see if anyone reacts. Or if you find yourself consuming interesting ideas out in the world, don't hesitate for a second. Just reach out to the interesting person right away and introduce yourself. That's how community building happens. And soon enough, your community could be filled with amazing, one-of-a-kind people who could be the next leaders of your organization. Rant over. Thanks to Jiting for being amazing. Thanks to you for listening. And don't forget to send me an email or voice memo with anything that's on your mind to soundup at groundupgovernance.com. Until next time.